welcome to the ministries of the Bohomi Baptist Church, where we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, fair before Him in all the earth. And the pastor is Reverend Nelson. Be blessed by the sermon that you're about to hear. written by David and he said in the Lord I will put my trust how can you say to my soul flee as a bird to your mountain for look the wicked bend their bow they make ready their arrow on a, on a string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in hearts 
in the foundations, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous. But the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked, he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. Let us pray. And as we do so, let us ask the Lord to speak through us and let us also ask him to receive what he has for us. Father, we come to you in the name of God the Son. Through the power of God the Holy Spirit. And I pray now that you open our hearts, open our minds to receive your truth. Lord, we pray for those who are at this time bearing burdens. We think of Sister Marilyn. Lord, we pray for her that you would grant her peace, comfort. And for everyone, Lord, under the sound of her voice, may they receive the perfect peace that you give to your children. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I want to share with you from the thought in the king's court. Now, can everybody hear me from the back? All right. Can you still hear me from the back? Good. All right. Because I may have to move from here to there. And thank you very much, but I don't even like to hold a microphone in my hand when I'm speaking. <laughs> All right. So, in the king's court, after David destroyed Goliath, he was promoted to the king's court. The king, obviously, was Saul. There was a time that Saul was experiencing some demonic harassment, and David was taken to Saul to soothe his spirit. David was a good musician, and his chief instrument was a harp. So at times when Saul was troubled, they would call David, and he would go and play. At some point, Saul made David his errand boy. And I'll tell you why he did that later. 
David married Saul's daughter because David had put a challenge out. David didn't like, Saul didn't like David. Of course, he thought he was a magnificent person. But Saul had a serious problem. And David became an object of his wrath. David became Jonathan's good friend, Saul's son. But you see, the problem that David, uh, that Saul had was Saul was jealous of David. And so he made him the errand boy so he could keep his eyes on David. On two occasions, Saul tried to kill David. Two very known occasions. There may have been other times when he tried. David had to run for his life. David threw a javelin, sorry, Saul threw a javelin at David one time, right in the court where they were meeting, took it and threw it at him. And it didn't hit David, it went in the wall. Another time, Saul said if someone would give him a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, then they would marry his daughter. And the plot was that David would be killed because he was sending him up against an army, one man. And David did that. He presented Saul with a hundred foreskins of Philistines' men. Saul had promised that the person would marry his daughter. And David married a daughter. So, so Saul had Jonathan, his friend, Saul's son, Saul's daughter, his wife. And so David knew that the plot was to destroy him. And David flee. And many times he was hiding in caves. He had opportunity to kill Saul, but he did not do that. He refused. His counselors who told him to take his life. And David said he would not. He refused to do it. And so it was around those experiences that David wrote Psalm 11. It was out of that, some of those experiences. Wow. So the Psalm actually holds a message for those who experience crises in life and attempted sometimes to run away and hide. 
You see, the inability to control events creates fear. Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God, they said to God, we went to hide because we were what? We were afraid. There was a condition that they could not control. And that created fear. I remember Achan, after he disobeyed God and took the, the, the um, yeah, you call it spoils, yes, the, the, the treasury, the, um, the, the, the money type material that he was not supposed to take. He hid it from the presence of everyone. Um, the talents that were given to the people. The five, the, the two, and the one. The person who got the one went and hid the talents. And then what was his excuse? I was afraid. He hid it. And, you know, he did something that many people do. <laughs> the talent represents money, right? And then sometimes people put the money in the bank. Sometimes they put it on the, in the ground. Sometimes they put it under the mattresses. And God told them that he expected him, he told the one he expected him to invest it. But if he didn't invest it, then he could at least put it in the bank and get some legal interest. Remember that? But he didn't do all of that because he was afraid. He was afraid. So David is in a situation where he is dealing with another giant. Another one he destroyed in the valley of Elah. But this one was the giant of fear. And so, the first thing I would like you to think about here is David thinks of a way of conquering that fear. Okay? So fear is conquered. David is dealing with the giant of them. David's, David determined then that he was going to do one thing that would conquer the giant. And that thing was trust. So in verse 1 it says, In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, Flee as a bird to your mountain. Trust. The bird reference depicts a man who has no refuge except in flight. So David said, in the Lord, 
I will put my trust. I will not flee to the mountain. Let me say here, even if the mountain is the place to go, the guidance must come from the Lord. Sometimes, yes, one can flee. One can look at other avenues. But we always must understand that whatever path is taken, it must be of the Lord. The Lord has to tell you what to do. You have to know that it is the Lord who is telling it to you. You have to know that it is not somebody else who is just pushing their opinions on you. What they think you should do. Because people always have a solution for you. Even when you don't ask for advice, they'll give you. We have to take all of that, synthesize it, and then really determine what is the Lord telling me to do. And David says, in you I will trust, and I will depend on you, Lord. Okay? Circumstances have a tendency to push us into very irrational decisions. There is a circumstance that we are not able to control. It develops fear. We make desperate decisions. Okay? Um, I remember talking to a contractor who referred to another contractor. We talked about it and he said, that person is hungry and he's desperate. Think about it. Hungry and desperate. I remember Esau. Esau went in the mountain. He came back and his brother was home. Now listen to this. His brother was home and had cooked lentils. Esau came hungry and Esau exchanged his birthright for a pot of lentil soup. His birthright. He was hungry and we could say he was desperate. But just think that for a moment. If Esau had just taken some a moment, pause a while. Pause. Esau would have found some other food that he could have eaten. You know why? They were at home. You tell me that he couldn't go to I mean, his father's kitchen, his mother's house, they're right there, either in that single house or in a compound. 
But he chose to go that route. It was readily available. He took it. It's like he jumped at the first thing that came. He gave his life's inheritance for a plate of food that he would eat and then it would be processed and delivered <laughs> in some unknown place called a toilet. He gave all of that up for a plate of food. Okay. Following God causes us to make the right decisions. Why? Because God puts us into his protective refuge and leads us into the path of righteousness for his name's sake. God does not lead us into wrong places and doing the wrong things. God leads us into his, into his path, as Psalm 23 says, for his righteousness, in the path of his righteousness, for his name's sake. In other words, when he takes us, the continuation of being there is to glorify God. All the time. Okay? When that stops, is because it is hindered by something else. Now, if our movements, our decisions, our travels, whatever, are based on fear, our journey will be accompanied by fear. And we will operates in fear. Now, fear is the opposite of faith. It's the antithesis of faith. Of faith. In fear, you cannot please God, but in faith, you can please God. Because God says that without faith, it is not possible to please God. Everything, every belief in God, it has to be of faith. When we exercise faith, it is something we don't see. Faith is the language that God seeks. Forget all the nonsense you hear. Sometimes people hear you, they hear the voice of God. They hear a voice from this. They hear a voice from that. Faith is what God wants. Faith brings forth action. So we can 
We trust God. We envision that. God leads us to pray for things. We, and then we see it happen. It was because of faith. We don't see things and then develop faith. No. We, we have faith and then we see it. That's what God says. That's how it happens. So compare the life of fear to the life of faith. Faith life is a happy life. So we see David's determined trust, but let us look at David's developing troubles. So verse 2 says, For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. David is a slave that the enemy conceals their coward movements or cowardly movements. They are doing it behind the scenes. This song just came to my mind right here. It wasn't part of the sermon. But I find it very ironic that there is a war between Ukraine and Russia. And Ukraine is planning in the open while Russia is planning secretly. And the countries that back up Ukraine are also planning in the public. You don't know what Russia is going to do. They don't tell you. But guess what? You know what ammunition Ukraine is getting? You know when they're going to begin the counteroffensive? You know where they're going to be doing it? So what do you expect? You expect the enemy to just sit and don't take action? Don't do anything? Be totally oblivious to what is happening? No, they're not. If you were going to break into my house, do you think I would just sit there and wait for you to do it without preparing? You wouldn't make it through the door. The enemy, um, you know, plans secretly. That's what enemies do. They don't plan publicly. Because then everything becomes known. The Bible says that, you know. So they were planning, but those things were circulating about in the court. David, on the other hand, was loyal to Saul. So while they were bad-talking him, planning, David remained loyal to Saul. But Saul felt inferior to David. And 
Saul developed. He went after David with a system that was systematically calculated. And a desire to destroy David. He went again with a vengeance. Now, Saul's jealousy developed from a few things. You see, Saul was disgraced at the valley of Elah. It had nothing to do with David. David, it maybe it had to do with him, but it wasn't like David was after Saul. David was sent to Gath, Elah, and he took some provisions for his brothers who were in the army by his father telling him, go and take some ration to your brothers and see how they do it. David is a young boy, still young. It is believed that he was about 17 years of age. So David went to visit the army which represented God. And when David got to Elah, where the battle was raging, David realized that there was a standoff. So he was in the valley. Okay, so picture it this way, right? This is the hallway, and then the army is here, the Philistines, and then another army is here, the Israelites. And then there was a man standing in the middle at the bottom of the valley called Goliath. He is the champion of the Philistines. And so he's standing in there and he's really deriding Israel and saying every day, give me a man that we may fight together. Yeah. Yeah. Are any of you brought up in a village where there was a strong man always in that village? <laughs> And it's like, he, he came out every time and he thinks he was the champion of that village. And it's like, nobody can beat him, he's the strongest. <laughs> yeah, I, I have seen many of those where I grew up there were. I remember one man took a gun, all right, those one bullet guns, the old guns, you know. And he used the butt of the gun and he beat that guy up so badly that he took his championship from him. So here was Goliath. Challenging the Israelites. Humiliating Saul who was the leader of the Israelite army. Every day, give me a man 
that we may fight together. And here is David, this young boy. He sees that. And David was disturbed. David made a statement. He said, isn't there a cause? Yes, sir. You are defying the army of the living God. And there is no one to take you on. And David said, I did. Now, first of all, who told David that he could? It wasn't Saul. It wasn't his brothers. It was God. David did not take on the giant on his own. And that's the mistake that sometimes many of us make. We take on giants because somebody told us to. We take on giants because our ego tells us to. And then what ends up happening is we fail. But it was God who inspired David to do that. Well, I, should, I, I don't want to stay on there too long. But the whole point is David conquered Goliath. And he did it with a sling. Thank him. And then he had four extras, and those were four Goliath's brothers. Because they were Goliath had four brothers. All of them giants. He remembered that his grace. Saul remembered putting his war uniform on that teenager to fight in his place. David was going to fight in Saul's place. Saul was desperate. He remembered when the women sang victoriously that Saul had slain thousands and David tens of thousands. He remembered that. He echoed what more could David have than the kingdom. That was a fearful soul. David says in verse 3, he says this, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The the Hebrew word for foundations refer to the settled order of things. David likened society to a building. And you see, the foundation of society is law and order. Justice and truth. So if those are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You see, the survival of any institution 
Whether it's the home, the church, the school, the government is dependent on participants following the rules. All of us have a home. And then most of us do not have the rules written. All right? Some people go and write the rules, but some, most of us don't have the rules written. But the rules are embedded in the dwellers of the house. It is like you don't have it written, but you know the rules. And when the rules are violated, somebody in this house, you're not hearing me, somebody in this house, Rains on those violators. If that doesn't happen, guess what develops? Chaos. Chaos. You think the scripture doesn't know what it is saying when it says, train up a child in the way he should go? And he says, when he is old, he or she, they will not depart from it. Train, 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 train. A trainer is engaged in the process. This man is a coach. As a principal, I saw coaches, like physical education teachers, as the most precise people in getting the goal achieved, getting the objective achieved. Musicians, musicians, coaches, they are most likely the people to get the goal achieved. You know why? Now, I, I don't know a whole lot about sports, you know, so I don't want to pretend here. But if you are playing any sport, precision is paramount. Mm -hmm. And I happen to know more about music than I know about coaching. And if you are playing music, the right key the timing, all of that has to be on spot. If not, you still have confusion. You don't want to be leading an ensemble and somebody is playing an instrument out of tune, out of key, on his own. It just doesn't work and they'll rein you in. And if the church, the church has its rule book as the Bible, right? That's, that's the rule. And if the Bible is not followed, then you have confusion. 
And then, of course, you have the community. So let me call the community the government. And we operate in a democratic system of government. Now, if the democracy is eroded, then you have another form of government. It could be totalitarianism. It could be autocratic. It could be dictatorship. Now, but we in this Western countries, well, let's say the United States, we operate under a democracy. And while the home, the schools, the church, governments, in principle, the system is based on biblical principles. Okay? And, and, but it is not run by the Bible. In other words, the Bible is not the constitution of is not the constitution of the United States. There are biblical principles in there. But the Bible is not the constitution. The constitution of the United States is what runs the United States. So if you take the constitution and you destroy it, burn it, we don't want the constitution anymore. What do you have left? Chaos. Another system of government will run in. So, and the system is now the orders that keep this system in place are being destroyed. Law and order, truth, justice, morality decency and integrity and it's a system that is ushering into the man of sin yeah it, it is something that's being put in place to usher in the man of sin. The Antichrist. Okay. Now, the second thing here, let's talk about the facts that I consider. And David has put his trust in God because he understands that God is all sufficient. And so in verse 4, he says, the Lord is in his temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold the eyelids 
or his eyes behold, his eyelids test the Son of Man. So he's putting these facts and he's saying, look, the Lord sits in his temple. The Lord sits on his throne. And he is saying, in spite of what it may look like, God has not lost it. God is not losing it. And you see, it is so easy sometimes to judge by the appearance to the, to the point that we think that God has abdicated his throne. Sometimes things are happening and we think people are going to take control. People are going to do this and things are out of hand and that's what's going to happen. I have somewhat a cynical way of thinking of this thing. I usually say, you remember, you remember the gentleman by the name of um, Grossman? You remember the name Al Chapo? Yeah, you remember El Chapo? You remember the terror that he created in Mexico? You remember that he was in jail in Mexico, and then one day they came looking for him, and he was gone, and there was a tunnel built into his bathroom. They built a tunnel from outside in the community, and walked through the ground and came into the bathroom, and they provided him a motorcycle and Guzman got lifted the cover, went into the back in the bathroom cover, right? Went into there, in the tunnel, got on a motorbike and got away. The man was terrorizing the place. Okay. Where is he now? Do you know? Anyone knows where um, Guzman is? In Chapel, in jail in the United States because they didn't think Mexico could contain him. So the United States took him and they made sure he won't get out. Three of his sons have been, two have been jailed already looking for the next one. Wickedness doesn't go on for forever, you know. Injustice doesn't live forever. The only thing that will live forever is trust in God. Faith. So, Scripture says he watches patiently and he's looking, he's looking at the actions of men. And that means he's looking at the actions of believers and unbelievers. It's not just one set. He's looking at the actions of all. So as he looks, he sees what's happening. 
we are not necessarily privy to his options, okay? But one option that I perceive could be the option of evangelism. Evangelizing the lost. People need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that takes place, it will make a world of difference. Another option could be to let it run and then let it run into the end times and then some heavy judgment comes. That will happen. Okay. In verses 4 and 5, David says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. No matter what is happening, God is not dead and God is not blind. He is fully aware of everything that is happening to us, with us, for us. He's aware of it. You know, when we want to zero in on something, right? We we'll kind of pack our eyes and, and kind of casually close it like and look at this thing that we are focusing on. The Bible says that God's eyelids are zeroing on those activities. It's not escaping it. God focuses on the deeds of evil. then God is looking at those things because those things reveal who we are. Whether we are producing dross or whether we are producing gold. It was Job who said, when I have been tested, and the word try is used in some translations. When I've been tested, I shall come forth as what? Pure gold. <clears throat> Recently, I told somewhere when I preach that gold, it takes over 1,600 degrees Fahrenheit to purify gold, to take out the drops, to take out the extra metal that's in there. And when it comes out, it comes out 99.99%. Okay. Sometimes we go through 
fire. And the intention is to bring us out as pure gold. You cannot get pure gold without going through fire. And so we on this earth will go through <clears throat> a lot of trouble. It was Job who said, man, he's born of woman, is a few days and full of trouble. There will never be a time when there won't be trouble. But what has happened is, God says, put our trust in Him. The troubles may not even go away. They might. But there's no guarantee that the troubles will go away. But there is guarantee that God is accompanying us in the trouble and then the landing is going to be safe. The landing will be safe. And God will help us through the trouble. God says, he respond to the wicked, he will rain judgment like coals of fire. But he'll do it in his time. So no matter what, verse 7 says, for the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. His face is hooked on the upright. So when you, when I, when we face the oppression, and there is a tendency to regress, remember God. God is holding you up, is guiding you, is providing for you, and is sustaining you. If you were not providing, you would be dead. If he wasn't with you, you would be dead. If he wasn't sustaining you, you would be dead. In other words, there is not a straw that's going to break the camel's back. Because God does not lose any battle. But remember, it's a battle. It's a battle. Life can be rough. That doesn't mean God is not with you. That doesn't mean God is telling you that. God doesn't give anybody a test to fail. The worst thing that, is, that could happen is a teacher who gives tests and expect, well, the tests are so hard so nobody will pass it. That's not a good teacher, it's a bad teacher. God doesn't give tests so people can fail. He tests people so they can pass. Do 
that when Job was being tested, Job didn't know what was happening. All Job knew was bad things happening to him. He didn't know it was God allowing it. And that's the thing with the Christian. Nothing happens to you except God allows you. Nothing. So Job went through this. And, and of course, you read the book of Job and you see all the complaints. I mean, really, you just dash it on. Okay. Then even Peter. God said, when you, uh, when you get out of this, help the brethren. You know something It's not just for us? It's for us, but sometimes it's for other people. When you are converted, when you get out of this, help the brethren. Is it all for me? It's not really worth it. says that you gave him so he could guide us into our truth. That he's with us. That he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. But our Father, we know that the enemy would like to think that we are on our own. I pray that faith will reign in our lives, in our decisions. So we look to you for the results, for the outcome. Knowing that it's going to be okay. In Christ's name we pray. We just want to thank you for listening to today's sermon here at the Bavoni Baptist Church, where sharing Christ is every Christian's business. So as we depart, go and serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.